this team for leading us in worship and for reminding us through the songs that God's love is everlasting. Leaning on the everlasting arms, right? It's just, just wonderful. And that's hard to understand God's way sometimes, isn't it? Because we struggle, don't we? We suffer. And there's many of us that have different ty- kinds of sufferings. Uh, he's not slow in keeping his promise, but there's those, those of us that have lost loved ones. My brother Ed, losing his mom this week, or the last couple of weeks, and they just said farewell this past Friday. And people that are struggling with health issues and people struggling with transition in employment and people that have had health, you know, Sylvain, thank you, Lord, for, for answer prayer. And we all suffer, right? It's just an overriding sense that we live in a world that's just, you know, it's broken, but God is faithful. And I'd just like to just point us towards some scripture this morning from Romans 8. I won't read the whole, I'll just read a section. But just to be reminded that, that all of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Whereas uh, Romans 8.22. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what, is already, for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And that's, we're groaning, we're waiting. We're waiting for God to, to complete that work. And he's doing that work. And, and just our pray, prayer time already this morning in worship is a reminder that he is not slow in keeping his promise. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because... The Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So as we just continue in a time of prayer, I just trust that God's hope, the hope that we have in Jesus, would just give us that strength to to persevere and to hang on to his promises, that we lean on his everlasting arms. And um, relationships that we long to, to have... God work. Uh, for those, there's many that are praying for broken relationships. And I just heard from a, a precious sister in the Lord this morning that there's hope there in a relationship that she's been longing to have reconciliation or whatever that is. And I just pray that uh, those of you that have a heart, a burden that they would like to just call out, I pray that you would do that with an expectation that Jesus, who is not slow in keeping his promise, he will, he will keep his promise. He hears us. He's preparing a place for us in heaven. So I'd just like to ask anyone that would like to pray to just lift up their, their heart to the Lord in, in time of prayer, and then I'll close off. Let's pray together. Good morning. Please rise for the reading of the word, which is taken from Psalm 131. 
My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. The word of the Lord. come to church, you never know what's going to happen, and this morning I had the special thrill of seeing one of my favorite people here, Morgan Klukas, and then as I looked further, I saw there's Liam and Aiden and Jody and Steve as well, so welcome, it's great to see you here. We are in the midst of a series talking about the Christian life as a pilgrimage, and it requires a different mentality than what the world encourages us to have, a different orientation of the heart. For example, if you're a pilgrim, you're not laying up treasure on earth, you're laying up treasure in heaven. You don't fix your eyes on what is seen because you know it's temporary. You fix your eyes on what is unseen because it is eternal. If you're a pilgrim, you are looking for a better country. You uh, realize that the important thing is not to follow your dreams, but to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Those who are committed to this world only will say things like, it doesn't get any better than this. Pilgrims say, no, you must be born again. Those who are committed to the world want their life to be summarized by the statement, I did it my way. But pilgrims want to say, I did it thy way. Those who are invested in this world are concerned about being on the right side of history. But pilgrims want to be on the right side of eternity. And so it's a totally different orientation of our heart and our mind. Pilgrims have answered the question that Jesus asked in Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be if you gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? We know that everyone ultimately has to make a choice between the world and their soul. And pilgrims are those who realize the world is not enough. So they're looking for a better country, one that God has prepared for them. And because of that, they realize they're on a long journey, so they have to be patient. And it's also a very difficult journey at times. You face ridicule and contempt, as we saw last week. But we don't focus on what the enemy is doing. We look instead to the throne room in heaven, the throne that is occupied by God, 
And we adopt a respectful posture before that throne. We don't pester God like impatient lobbyists. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 7 to 8, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So if God already knows what we need, then what we have to do above all is to wait patiently and watch His hand until He shows us mercy. Because it's all in the hand. When when subjects brought their request before a king, they would watch his hand because the gesture would indicate approval or disapproval, deal or no deal, thumbs up or thumbs down, or two thumbs up. It's all in the hand, which supports the theory that God must be Italian. Because Italians, it's all about the hands. You know, there's all these gestures going on, and it's, it's amazing. And in fact, you don't even have to hear what they're saying. You can figure it out by just watching the hands. And even if the words are lying, the hands always tell you the truth. It's all about the gestures. So when we're dealing with God, that's kind of what's going on. We focus on the hand. Slaves look to the hand of their master, it says, and they wait. And that's what my prayer life should become. Because I find there's too much drama, too much emotional noise in my prayers. But in the throne room, there's none of that. Slaves and servants adopt a posture of reverence, and they patiently wait. Not neurotically, not on the verge of panic. They wait with a sense of peace. Because they can see that their master is not anxious. He's not worried. So we adopt his attitude in quietness and trust is our strength. And that same attitude is evident in today's scripture, Psalm 131. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I really found this word so therapeutic and so transformative because this is how I need to pray. This is how I need to relate to you. I need to have the kind of relationship that is not filled with all kinds of worry and anxiety and fear, but one that knows that you are the God who is in control, that you are the one who is already aware of what I need, and you are going to work out your will in your time. Help us to adopt this attitude, Lord, and as we look at the scripture today, especially We want to respond to this challenge, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So whether we realize it or not, we are on a pilgrimage to a better country. A lot of believers don't get that because they're quite comfortable in this world. I mean, if you get a good salary and you live in a safe neighborhood and your kids go to one of the better schools and your laptop doesn't have any viruses and the flames are in first place, it's just another day in paradise. Well, that's almost true. It's actually another day in paradise lost. That's why every once in a while we realize that this is actually a fallen world and we are in enemy territory. This past year, it happened in Canada 
of all places. Canada, the best country in the world where everyone is polite and tolerant and patient, even at the drive through in Tim Hortons. Then all of a sudden we found ourselves in an ideological war zone where believers were caught in the crossfire. This used to be a country where we had the freedom to agree to disagree. No harm done. Have a nice day. Go Team Canada. But that's no longer possible. All of a sudden, it's only compulsory to agree with politically correct dogma. Or you are not a friend of Caesar. And because Christians refuse to conform to the pattern of the world, we are now being called un-Canadian. And of course, there will be consequences for that. Maybe Revenue Canada is working on that as we speak. Well, none of this surprises me because you could feel the hostility building over the past years. And I've said many times, based on the direction our culture is moving, there are only two possible outcomes. Either there will be revival or persecution. Now, we don't like this disturbing development, but I see some very positive side effects. This sudden climate change has reminded us that the world is simply not our home. We are not citizens. We're aliens, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. We're finally realizing that we're on a pilgrimage. We're passing through. We're not evacuating. This is not an escape mechanism. We're still involved in life. We go to our kids' soccer games and we look for a parking spot at Costco. We do all those things. And we're trying to take as many as possible with us on the journey. So we're spending some time in the Psalms of Ascent, the passages of Scripture that the Hebrew pilgrims recited as they left the hostile regions of their homeland and traveled towards Jerusalem for the great festivals. And as these psalms prepared them for their journey, they also provide the perspective that we need so that we don't get overly entangled in the stuff of this life, because on this journey, we need to travel light. Psalm 131 helps us to do that. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now in these two verses, we have two formidable roadblocks that we encounter as we move on to higher ground. Eugene Peterson says, Psalm 131 is is as functional to a person of faith as pruning is to a gardener. It gets rid of that which looks good and reduces the distance between our heart and God. Psalm 131 prunes away unruly ambition and infantile dependency what we might call getting too big for our breeches and refusing to cut the apron strings. These are some of the biggest obstacles on our journey. The first one, my heart is not proud, O Lord, my eyes are not haughty, 
I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. This obviously is the original sin. The serpent told Eve, God is underutilizing you. He's restricting your potential. You're capable of so much more than these meager opportunities that God has given you. Don't underestimate your abilities. Assert yourself. You go, girl. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Well, this, of course, was Satan's sin. This is what got him evicted from heaven. And he was only too happy to pass it on to the humans on earth. And it's been our favorite pastime ever since. No limits. You can be anything you want to be. To infinity and beyond. Boy, that gives us such a buzz. (laughs) Now, I'm glad you got that. (laughs) Now, the area where this ambition is most evident probably is in science. Because there's very little humility in secular science. No acknowledgement that there's some things we can't know and some things we can't do. Are you kidding? Anything is possible. Why, we can even make God irrelevant and replace him with evolution. And now we can hack into his genetic code and correct his spelling mistakes. It's a Tower of Babel 2.0. This is our destiny. As Rod Stewart sang, ain't no one going to stop us now. It reminds us of Goethe's story of Dr. Faustus. He was a genius who got tired of the limitations of his studies in medicine and law and theology. His ambitions had even outgrown the laws of physics, so he made a deal with the devil and was given supernatural powers so he could defy creation itself and control his destiny. And that's exactly what he did for 24 years until it all ended in eternal damnation. Pride is the godfather of all evil. My heart is not proud, O Lord. It's a temptation because the world we're passing through is contaminated with pride. Worldly ambition, entitlement. Peterson says our entire culture is Faustian. And it appeals to us. Just imagine to make a name for yourself, to be someone in the world. Look at me. Notice me. How do you like me now? It's interesting that the writer of this psalm, David, models the attitude for us. After he was anointed king, David did not hold a press conference or a parade. He went back to herding his sheep. Not very impressive. And he never grabbed for power. He could have killed Saul and taken the throne. He had the opportunity, but he humbled himself and waited for God's timing. This is David's life. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters. See, the problem is ambition requires all of our energy and enormous amounts of time which means that we have to set aside other pursuits like seeking first his kingdom. 
There's just not enough time to do both. Ambition is a high-maintenance pursuit. It weighs us down, and pilgrims can't afford that because we have to travel light. So we do not concern ourselves with great matters. It's not about our role or our rank or our reputation or our results. I don't focus on things too wonderful for me. All the fatal attractions of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Instead, my ambition is to pursue God, to hunger and thirst for the living God, and to keep moving toward that better country. As Paul said, forgetting what is behind and straining for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. When we do that, we can actually feel the momentum and we're not being slowed down by all these distractions. The second verse says, But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is really interesting. If pride is one of the roadblocks for pilgrims, the other one has to be perpetual immaturity. As we pass through hostile regions, we feel vulnerable, we feel intimidated, so we seek the shelter of our Father's arms. God is our refuge, and we all need that in times of danger. But we're not meant to live there indefinitely. It's very comforting, but we're not gaining any ground. The pilgrimage has come to a pause. We're idling in neutral. Some believers have even succumbed to arrested development. They grew up to a certain point, and then when it got too costly or too risky, they stopped. And so 10, 20 years later, they're still there. Not pilgrims, but squatters. The writer of Hebrews addresses this problem in chapter 5, verse 11, where he says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. In the healthy Christian life, we keep growing because we keep going on toward maturity. And that involves taking risks, and being ridiculed. Spiritual growth is scary stuff. It's much easier to take the path of least resistance. So, if the problem is perpetual immaturity, here is the solution. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Interesting. Peterson says we are not to be proud, clamorous, arrogant persons, nor are we to be mousy, cringing, insecure ones either. Since the great temptation is to be everything, the perfect solution is to be nothing, a doormat Christian, a dishrag saint, 
weepily clinging to God. So this psalm tells us we should not think too much of ourselves or too little. Now it's true that Jesus advocated a childlike faith, but he wasn't referring to a spoiled brat having a temper tantrum and demanding immediate satisfaction. There's obviously nothing cuter than a baby snuggled in its mother's arms. They're fun to look at. But I think kids are a lot more fun when they develop some independence, and you can relate to them on a more mature level. And that's why weaning is such an important part of spiritual growth. But I've stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child. Spiritual immaturity is characterized by panic attacks, noisy demands, neurotic overdependency, and lots of whining. Maturity is characterized by the ability to be quiet and still, even in distress. Psalm, or Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 says, In repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. Stop fussing and fretting. When we are weaned, we no longer see God as just the provider of our needs. Adrian Rogers has some good ideas on this. He says that the spiritually immature focus only on the works of God, but the mature can appreciate also the ways of God. He says, some people don't exactly love God. They are are infatuated. They're impressed by his works, the miracles and the healings, and we all love that stuff. But he says, to love God maturely means to love his ways, even if they are difficult. While an infant uses his mother for sustenance, a weaned child can enjoy his mother because of their maturing relationship. So weaning is a necessary part of spiritual growth. But obviously this is painful. You see it with young animals who are suckling to their utter delight. Then all of a sudden the mother kicks them away. Why? But mom, I'm thirsty. I need milk. Don't you love me anymore? No, that's not it. It's time to move on from milk to solid food. Weaning is very traumatic for growing youngsters, but absolutely necessary. And I think that's one of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, you have the infancy of faith. It's like kindergarten. And then Jesus comes along and he weans the Jews from their dependence on the temple and the Sabbath and the sacrifices and the priesthood and all of that legalism and they went berserk. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't go through the withdrawal. Weaning is very painful. Paul even went so far as to wean them off of circumcision and it was like a declaration of war. Weaning is a very difficult process, and no one likes it. But that's the challenge 
for all those who are on the pilgrimage. We need to leave behind the familiar and the comfortable and move forward by faith with much less baggage. To embark on the journey to a better country, you have to be weaned. Or else you'll just go back, back to the place where you enjoyed acceptance and approval from the world. The mature, however, don't need that. Because quite frankly, pilgrims are unacceptable, undesirable. The locals will often treat them with suspicion. If you're a pilgrim, you're not one of us. You're one of them, an outsider. You're un-Canadian. We have no use for them around here. That's why Jesus said in John 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. That's why this is happening. Jesus told us all about it. And so a pilgrim understands that, and so a pilgrim is also able to let go of the things that were once so comforting and so comfortable. Because a pilgrim has to travel light. They can't be weighed down by the security blankets of worldly approval. O Israel, verse 3, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. We don't place our hope anywhere else. We've let go of all the things we used to hope in, and we place our hope in the Lord alone. You see, spiritual maturity, now listen to this very carefully, because this is what really challenges us. Spiritual maturity means that we love God, not only for what He gives us, but also for what He takes away from us. That's what spiritual maturity looks like what he takes away from us for our own good. Maybe that's why we're not getting a whole lot of love from our culture. God is weaning us, preparing us for something better. This is an opportunity for us to mature. We can't just love God for what he gives us. We have to love him just as much for what he takes away. This is what, incidentally, the prosperity gospel doesn't acknowledge. Listen to this quote by Spurgeon. He says, It is a blessed mark of growth out of spiritual infancy when we can forgo the joys which once appeared essential and find solace in him who denies them to us. It is a mark of spiritual maturity when we can forgo the joys which once appeared so essential and find solace in Him who denies them to us. Weaning is primarily an act of denial. But you cannot grow spiritually without it. So if God is denying you, it's because you need to be weaned. He's doing it because you need to grow without it. 
and put your hope in the Lord both now and evermore as you keep going on that journey, traveling light in that long obedience in the same direction. Let's pray.